0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Uh, so for the entire summer, we have been walking through uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we've been looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and, and taking each fruit that we find in somebody who follows Jesus— and we've taken each one and kind of unpacked it so we can develop a better understanding of what it looks like for somebody to follow Christ. Uh, so before we actually begin to unpack uh, faithfulness, which is the aspect of the fruits that we're going to be talking about today, I want to revisit the entire passage again uh, so that we can just remind ourselves of what the fruit of the Spirit is in the person's life. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And follow along with us. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And today we're looking at faithfulness. And before we begin to unpack it and understand what that really means, that a Christian, that part of being a Christian means that you are faithful, I think we need to define it a little bit better. And some other words that describe the word here that is used as faithfulness is committed, loyal, reliable, somebody whose actions match their words. That sounds like a great person, right? We all want that kind of person in our lives, and, um, and the reality is that as we grow in our love for Jesus, as we grow in our connection to Christ, it's supposed to work out where our faithfulness then grows as well. But let me give you an example of a time that I saw faithfulness on full display. A little bit, right when I, literally, right when I graduated college, I, I took a job, I was hired. By a nonprofit um, organization here in, in Miami-Dade County uh, that is a group home. And this was a massive organization that housed a little bit over 130 children. And they had asked me to come and take the job as a house parent. I was 24. I barely knew how to parent myself, and I was being hired to be a dad, <laughs> and, uh, and I had just figured out how to match an outfit, and let alone now I have to raise people, and uh, so fortunately, I wasn't, they had the wisdom to not hire me to raise small people. They had the wisdom to hire me to raise people who can vent for themselves, teenagers, and um, the home I was hired to to work in uh, was a home with eleven teenage boys. Ooh, yeah, that's right. It smelled like Axe and deodorant and <laughs> and all those great teenage smells. And so, my job was to be a dad to these eleven boys. And eleven teenage boys alone is crazy, but the organization had such a a love for for kids in foster system, and th- their love wasn't just for the kids that that were great in foster systems. They also loved the kids that had massive issues. And one of the things that they had done with my home, my home in particular, was, was a house for, for teenage boys that had at least two criminal charges on their record. Meaning, we would go to the juvenile detention center and we would pick up a boy and bring him to our home to come live with me. And this was insane because the charges range just from drug possession, to battery on an officer, to, to rape, to just a wide range of things. And they were living in my house. <laughs> and uh, so you could just imagine the chaos that, that was there sometimes, but because this organization had such a, did such an incredible job with therapy, did such an incredible job of school selection, did even a, a greater job with establishing a, a healthy community, for these boys and allowing these boys to, to grow in their understanding of Jesus and allowing these boys to grow in their understanding of God, we saw some massive changes in these boys. And I want to tell you about one in particular boy and one story of his life. Um, when he was 12 years old, uh, this one boy, I, can't, I won't say his name, he, he came to a point in his life and his brokenness where he made a decision that was horrible. He had put together a plot in how to, how to kill his mom. And, and he had put together this whole plan and put together all this stuff and how he was going to carry out this horrible act. And the night that he was going to do it, the mom caught wind of the plan and was able to contact the police before. And this, and this mom, when, she, when the police came into the house, she said, Hey, I want you to search his room. And when they searched his room, they went through everything, and then they pulled out and they found a list that he had. That was a hit list. And the hit list was, had not just names, but also plans attached to them. And his mom's name was the first one on the list. The wait for that mom to see her name on that list. So she listened to the wise counsel. She listened to people who were around her. And she made a decision that I think is the most devastating decision for a parent She gave gave over her rights of her child in hopes that the therapy and all the counseling and all the things that he would experience would help him. And so this boy, he then got put into the system and the system didn't help him. And things got progressively worse until he came to this organization I was at. And I'm not even joking. In the organization that I was at, The love that he received, the care, the therapy, all like everything that just worked perfectly around him, from even the school selection to the kind of friends he had, everything just took this boy and flipped him. And he made a 180 to the point where we just, we sometimes thought it was fake. And he was just completely just different, a different human so much so that his caseworker that had been with him from the very beginning all the way to the point that he had been in our home, she would come to our house and see it and just be like, are you injecting him with stuff? Like, what is this? (laughs) Like, is there some kind of shock therapy happening? Like, we gotta figure this out. And we'd be like, no. We just really love him. When he suffers, we suffer. When he laughs, we laugh. We're in his life and we care. And so he... He was doing so well at the caseworker, then went to his mom one day. He shows up to his mom's house and says, hey, listen, your boy is doing great. He is off the charts with his grades, behavior completely different. Look look what his house parents, look at the letter his house parent wrote about him. This kid is completely different. Do you wanna begin the process to bring him back into your home? And sure enough, that mom said yes. And the process began. And she began to, start, which was the first step of the process, these visits, these visitations, these bi-weekly visitations in the offices of the organization. And I would go with him to these visits because I would always be scared that maybe she won't show up and he's going to be crushed. So I would come alongside him and sit there and then watch the visitation take place. And sure enough, it was beautiful. And as we would come back from the home, it was about a 15-minute walk from the offices to our home. As we would walk back here every single time, this young boy would be there just weeping and just crying, saying, I can't believe she came. I can't believe she didn't quit. And she, he would always ask, doesn't she know what I tried to do to her? And then it finally led to a point where during one of the visitations, I said, you know what, man? Hey, you go. You walk home alone. I want to talk to your mom. Because I gotta make sure this woman's sane. (laughs) Like, I gotta make sure she understands the gravity of what is taking place here, because I I don't wanna be crushed. And I just simply asked the mom, I said, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you fighting like this? Why are you going through such extensive counseling, therapy? Like, she's, she's going out of her way to try and get this boy back in the house. And I'll never forget what she said to me, that it kind of offended me and kind of encouraged me. She said, Angel, you're 24 years old and you really think you know everything about life. It's like, oh man, (laughs) it's offensive. (laughs) And she said, those boys in your house, you look at them and you really do see them like your son. That's what my, my son says. You're like a dad to him and you love them. But you don't know what it's like to have a kid. You don't know what it's like for your flesh and blood to fail You'll know what it's like for your flesh and blood to make a big mistake. You don't know what it's like to know that if you quit your child, you'll never regret. You'll never not regret it." And then she said these words that just ruined me that night. She said, "Angel, parents don't quit. They don't give up. When you have a kid one day? And he does wrong against you, you'll know parents don't quit. And if they do, they regret it the rest of their lives. And I was just like, whoa, <laughs> that was deep. And as I walked home, those words of parents don't quit were just echoing in my mind. And her, and her posture and her demeanor and, her, and the truth that she was not giving up was just So loud in my mind. And at that very same time, I was actually studying through the book of Luke. And at that very same time, because God is God, I was actually studying through Luke chapter 11. And Luke chapter 11 is very interesting because Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. And as he's talking to a crowd of people, he's talking about how God is so in love with the people of this world, that He is willing to provide things for the people of this world. And then Jesus goes ahead and says, Let me give you an example of this. Let me, let me, let me help you understand what I mean. Parents love giving their kids gifts, right? And Jesus uses the example He says, If a, parent, if a kid comes to the parent and says, I want some bread, what parent's going to give their kid a rock? Right? If I, I, I want some fish, what parent's going to give their kid a snake? And Jesus asked a question in in Luke chapter 11, that's just so profound, saying, If you, who are evil and sinful and broken, have a desire to give your kids good gifts, how much so is the father who is perfect able to give good gifts to his children? And in that statement, Jesus is drawing the parallel between an earthly parent's love for the child compared to God the Father's love for a child. Let me take you back to the story. If that mom wouldn't quit, if you wouldn't quit your child, if you cannot bring yourself to give up on your son or your daughter, how much so is your heavenly Father willing to never quit on you? Never to turn his back on you. Never to roll a towel on you. Never to say, I'm done with you. If an earthly father or mother is willing and able to do that, how much so is a perfect, heavenly father willing to do that? This is so encouraging. This is so amazing because it's true. God doesn't quit. On us and now that kind of brings up a question well or, or, or the thought maybe he doesn't quit on us because he's just ignorant maybe he's just one of those parents who don't really know how bad it is right maybe he's just one of those parents who just overlook all the bad and just only look at the good and therefore that's why he thinks I'm gonna stick in this with you but that's not the case with God his faithfulness is not a result of his ignorance His faithfulness is not a result of being misinformed. He knows you, and yet he still loves you. He knows the good of you. He knows all those good things you do. He saw you this morning sacrifice and do so much work so you can be here today to be at church, to worship and learn. He saw that. He saw that one time that you gave money to somebody to help them, that you really didn't even have it yourself, but you sacrificed. He saw that. He has seen the times that you have prayed over your children, that you have prayed for strength. He has seen those times. They have fought to teach your children about Jesus. God sees that. He sees the way that with your life you fight for good. That's beautiful. But if he sees the good, he sees the bad too. And his faithfulness is not a result of his him being misinformed as a result of his love, even though he knows you. So he's seen the things you have done when no one's around. He knows who you are when that door of your house is closed. He has seen the way that you have spoken to family members in a way that you are just so ashamed over. He has seen the thoughts that run through your mind that if anyone ever knew, you would just die in shame. God has seen the things that you have tried so hard in your entire life to hide and to, and to keep from anyone ever knowing because if they ever knew, oh my gosh, they'll know who I am. And I don't want them to know this. God knows. He knows you. And yet, he loves you. And yet, he doesn't quit on you. And yet, he busts through walls for you. And yet, he is faithful to you, committed to you, loyal to you, reliable for you. He loves you, even though he knows you. And me just saying that, that's kind of cool and it's kind of encouraging. It's like, oh, okay, that's cute, Pastor Angel. But let me show you in the Bible where it speaks of this. Let me show you in the ancient scriptures of the Bible where it talks about his incredible faithfulness. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Where we're going to look at just how informed God is and just how faithful he is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, we're going to put it right here on the screen. Here we go, verse 1. And you... We're dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the Prince of Power of the air, the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is not a good start to this passage. He starts off by saying, You and me, us, we're dead in our sins. God is looking at humanity and saying, I know the truth that you cannot do good apart from me. I know the truth of who you are. You are so dead in your sins that you are actually on the path of Satan. That's what he's telling us in this passage. Oof, It's rough. Look back down in verse 3. Among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Let me pause there. It's not getting better. It looks rough. God knows us. He sees it. And I would challenge anyone to say that that's not true. That as we look at humanity, as we grow in our understanding of the world, and as we grow in our understanding of ourselves, isn't this what we see? I mean, just raising my three-year-old and one-and-a-half-year-old, that last verse, children of wrath. <laughs> it just comes to life. I mean, just yesterday, my one-and-a-half-year-old was going to take my three-year-old's peanut butter and jelly sandwich because he was like, you're not eating it. I'll take it. And My three-year-old said, no, psych, and threw water on it. No one eats it. <laughs> children of wrath. <laughs> it's such an ugly picture of what's true. In humanity. And God knows this. He's not ignorant to it. Now, in just a moment, we're going to put the next verse on there. And when I, when I put my hand up like this, I want you to shout very uncomfortably. Like, let's make the kids' ministry wonder what's happening over there. The first two words that are in verse four. Ready? All right, we're gonna do that one more time. Here we go. Oh, God. Oh, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you, by grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ. Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it's a gift of God not the result of works, so that no one may boast for you are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we shall walk in them This passage is making it crystal clear. You are broken. You are sinful. I am broken. I am sinful. But God does not quit. But God does not give up on his children. But God does not turn from those who are broken. God turns to those who are broken. And he is faithful And he is rich in mercy, rich in love, and so kind. As this passage says, even though you don't deserve it, he is there, faithful, not giving up, not turning his back, but turning to you. And now me saying that is really cool, right? I I think I said it's cute. Oh, cute job, Pastor Angel. It's really cute to say it. Me reading it, that's really amazing. Like that's almost transformative. Wow, that's, that's the message of Christianity. That we need a savior and Jesus is a savior. But what if I showed you that? Where would we look to see a picture of that? Where would we look to see that fully displayed for us? And may I tell you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that God loved world so much so God knew the world so much so God understood the world but God's so loyal to his people God is so in love with his people he is so faithful he sent Jesus to die he sent Jesus to onto the cross to take the punishment that I can never take for my sin He sent Jesus to go to the cross and provide a forgiveness that I, Angel Garcia, could never provide for myself. He sent Jesus to create a way for salvation, but Jesus was sent. And when we look at the cross, we don't just see salvation, we don't just see forgiveness, we see faithfulness, we see commitment. We see loyalty. We see, I'm busting through any wall to get you. Nothing's going to hold God back from you. Nothing's going to keep him from getting to you because he loves you. That's life-changing. That's freeing. That's Jesus. Now, what we see at the cross we see something very incredible because Christianity reveals something that no other that no other religion in the history of the world reveals. See, the message of Christianity is that God comes down in the flesh. And God comes down not as a rich ruler, not as somebody with massive influence, not as an elite. He comes down like us. He comes down human. He comes down and faces hunger. He comes down and faces rejection. He comes and faces loneliness. Knows the sting of injustice. Knows what it's like to stand at the crossroads of temptation. Knows what it's like to have a friend turn a back on you or to even have your parents speak ill of you. Jesus comes knowing what it's like to have a family not agree with you. Jesus knows, Jesus understands. He experiences it all. This is incredibly encouraging. Because are you broke financially? So was he. Are you struggling with someone rejecting you? So was he. Are you dealing with betrayal? So did he. Are you facing grief? So that your God, he knows, he understands. Well, if he loves me so much, man, why doesn't he answer my prayers? Right? I keep praying and I get no. So did Jesus. See, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he is on his knees in such anguish and stress and anxiety to the point where blood is being pushed out of his pores like sweat. And he is freaking out not knowing what's next, and just in agony. And I think some of us can relate to that. And he asked God, God, please, if, if there's another way to, take, to create salvation, if there's another way to save the world, let this cup pass for, from me. And the Father's words were, no. So if you're struggling because your prayers don't get answered, you can relate with Jesus. And all throughout Scripture, Jesus is referred to as a as a wonderful counselor, a wonderful counselor. And and, and for so many years, I always wondered, like, man, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, does he give good advice? Is that what they're kind of referring? Like, is he is he if he had a Twitter, would it be like filled with good quotes? And probably. and, and it wasn't until I sat in counseling one day, and I sat across a counselor and I'm dealing. And I'm sharing my story, I'm sharing my experiences, and, and the counselor's kind of giving me advice, and it was wonderful, and it was great. But there was a turning point where it went from, from great to transformative. When I'm sitting across this counselor, and she leans over, puts her hand on my knee, and said, I've been there. I understand. Let me help you understand what I did when I was in that same place. The greatest counselors that you'll ever find are people who can look at someone else and say, I've been there. Your God looks at you and says, I've been there. And we can look back with trust. We can look back with reliance. We can look back with faithfulness because we're looking at a God who holds us by the hand and says, "Hey, hey, I know that sting. I know what it's like. I've been there. And I love you. And we're getting through this. This is so encouraging. This is so transformative. And this can drive us to a place where we can grow in our faithfulness to him. Where we can grow in our loyalty to him. Where we can grow in our reliance to God. Because we're seeing just how he loves us. Now, looking at his example of faithfulness is really encouraging and life-changing, but let's look at the example of other people that were faithful, that remained faithful, that remained loyal to God throughout all the seasons of their lives. You see, because there's three different reasons that we, we kind of retract and pull our loyalty to God. There's three different reasons why we sometimes fall back away from faithfulness and why we kind of say, you know what? I'm blowing the towel I quit. I just clapped, and one of you guys woke up, like, "Ah, ah, ah, what happened? (laughs) To that person who woke up, welcome back. (laughs) And um, those three reasons one, our mistakes. Our mistakes can drive us to a place of really thinking, man, I've messed this up. I failed too much. I have outdone this. Our pain. Reason number three, uh, two, our pain. Reason number three, our confusion. We can get so confused with all of this, and we get to a point where we just say, you know, I'm throwing the towel in. I can't figure this out. This makes no sense. I'm done. But let's look at some people in Scripture. See, there's this guy. You may have heard of him. His name's Moses. <laughs> and Moses is a pretty popular guy because he did some pretty cool stuff. He led. People out of slavery. That's epic, right? That's incredible. But what we don't sometimes realize is that Moses had some mistakes on his record. Moses had some seasons where he, he dropped the ball. See, Moses, in the midst of a fight with another man, murdered him and killed him. And in that moment, he was not faithful. He sinned. He didn't let that sin keep him from fighting to be faithful to God afterwards. He was not perfect, but he fought to be faithful. And then Moses, then God comes to him and says, hey, Moses, I want you to go speak to the Pharaoh. And I want you to tell the Pharaoh that you're going to just take all the slaves in the country. (laughs) You're going to take all his cheap labor. And Moses' response was, wait, 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 hold on. I can't talk right. I stutter. (laughs) And he struggled with that. But he didn't let his struggle, he didn't let his pain of stuttering keep him from fighting to be faithful. And then King David. Well, we've heard of King David, right? He's the guy with the little rock that went like this and killed a giant. How crazy is that? I can't even hit a wall with a rock. He kills this giant. He kills a lion with his bare hands at one point. He kills a bear. Like, this is a man, macho. (laughs) And yet, he made some big mistakes. See, David used his power as king to go ahead and use it to influence a woman to then sleep with him and have an affair. And then, when she became pregnant with his child, gave orders for that the husband of that woman to be put on the front lines of war to be murdered. That's a big mistake. <laughs> That's sin. It's wrong. But his mistake didn't cause him to stop fighting to be faithful. David wasn't perfect, but he fought to be faithful. And then people don't realize that in, Samuel, in 2 Samuel 9, David actually lost a child. He had a son die and was put into massive depression because of it. And in his sadness and in his brokenness and in that depression, he fought to be faithful. And then we got someone else. Job. Everybody knows Job, right? Job's story is... Has a great house, has a great job, has great kids, has a great life. Everything is awesome. Everything is great. And one day, everything goes away. His kids die. He loses his home, loses his job, loses it all. And then we, the story that we tell our kids is, and then he still worshiped God. And it was amazing. But we skip the fact that there's 30 chapters of him struggling. Of his sadness, of his pain, causing him to really struggle to be faithful. But he fought to be faithful. Job wasn't perfect, but he fought to be faithful. See, what happens when we go ahead and use our, our sin our mistakes as an excuse for us to not be faithful anymore. What we are doing at that moment is we are literally saying, hey, I got to quit because I've messed up too much. And here's what that's actually saying. The underlining message is my sin is so big, it has changed the character of God. I have literally changed who God is. How arrogant, how prideful to believe that you can change God. Because you messed up. His faithfulness is still there for you. When we suffer, when that pain comes in, Moses had the pain of a speech impediment. David had the pain of a loss of a son. Job had the pain of a loss of everything. We can fall into the lie that this, this shows he's gone. This shows he's not faithful. At that moment, we look at the cross. We see the reality that no, he is faithful. He's just got me in a different season right now. Now that brings us to number three our confusion. Because it comes, right? The questions, the moments, the wonder comes. And I want to bring your attention to the apostles, the good boys, right? World's most confused men. Just think about what their lives were like. Man, I was fishing two years ago. Now I'm watching Jesus put an ear back on someone's head. What's going on? The craziness that these men experienced. And I want to bring your attention to John chapter 6. If you got a Bible, just flip through it. I'll walk us through that chapter. I think John chapter 6 is one of the craziest chapters in all the Gospels. Because whenever I hear people say, man, if I can, if I can go back in time and there was one person to hang out with, it would be Jesus. I'm like, have you read John chapter 6? John chapter 6 is crazy. Here's why. It's because So the chapter begins, and I'll get to the confusion part in a bit. The chapter begins with, with Jesus standing in front of 5,000 people. And we all know the story because it's super epic and super cool. It, he's in front of 5,000 people and they're like, man, we're hungry. And Jesus is like, I got you. right?" And he gives them all bread and fish. And everybody's eating so much bread and fish. They're like, this is the best, awesome. And the apostles were like, How cool is this? The guy we're hanging out with is giving everybody bread. Miracle. Amazing. And then, after that, they get in a boat. And we all know what happens in the boat with Jesus. Cool stuff, right? A storm is being calmed. People are walking on water. They're like, this is the best boat party in the world, right? Jesus is here. We're eating bread and fish and walking on water. How amazing. Ah, the highlights. And then they come to shore. And guess who's at shore waiting for them? The crowd of people who ate bread. And they're like, yo, Jesus, we're hungry again. (laughs) You got some more bread in that boat for us. And then, oh my gosh, I love it. You got to read it. It's the best. Because then Jesus looks at them. And I always picture it being so dramatic. Like, (laughs) he says these words. and He says, you guys are all here just for bread. You're just here because you want some bread. You've come to me just because you want me to give you some food. You don't love me. You love your stomach. (sighs) Oh, what a punch. And then he says, you're going after the wrong bread. You're going after physical bread. You need to be changing your heart to go after spiritual bread. A bread that I provide and only I provide. And a bread that can change your life. And at this point, you can imagine the apostles like, oh man, this is getting real. Right? Like <laughs> Jesus, they're gonna charge Jesus and we're gonna have to fight, right? Jesus is offending them. Because in John chapter 6, it talks about how, how the Jews then got together and they were super angry and they're like, man, eh, Jesus is offending us. And then Jesus cranks up the heat. And then he starts saying some stuff that to us, we know the story, so we're gonna be like, oh yeah, that's beautiful and it's nice, and because we know the end of the story. These people didn't. So Jesus then looks at the crowd and says, as a matter of fact, one day you'll eat of my flesh. <laughs> what? Can you imagine being in that crowd? Like, did Jesus just say we're gonna eat his 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 flesh? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did, boys. And you're gonna drink a cup of my blood. Hold up, <laughs> hold up. Imagine if those if that crowd was Cuban. <laughs> just imagine for a second, because it could happen. I mean, if there's gonna be a crowd of guys following someone for bread, it would be some Cubanos in the room, right? Now, <laughs> I would be like, yo, where's the bread? Now, he looks at that crowd and says, this crazy thing. You're gonna eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and doesn't fully explain it, just leaves it there. And everybody's like, yo, this guy's local, man. Like, it's time to leave. Like, Awela was right. Like, I should not have followed this guy. This is crazy and they leave by the hundreds and they start walking away and you know what honestly some of us here would have walked away and then John chapter 6 68 happens see cuz the crowd walks away and then Jesus looks at the 12 who's there and he asked them a question that he's asking you right now are you going to quit too Are you going to walk away like they did? Are you not going to be loyal? Is this confusion revealing your lack of commitment? Are you here just for bread too? And look at Peter's response. John chapter 6, verse 38. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know you. You are the Holy One of God. Peter, in that moment, faced with the question of, Do I run or do I stay? is like, Where else can we go and find the kind of love that we've had in you and find the beauty that we've had in you and find this? Where else can I go, Jesus? I am confused. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you said. I'm kind of scared of what you just said. But where else can I go? You have made a mistake. You are suffering. You are confused. But none of that changes his faithfulness to you. Don't let it change yours to him. Now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus... There's two things I want to leave with this. One, an encouragement thing, and two, a huge warning. The encouragement thing first. Don't quit. Fight to get up. You have made a mistake. Don't stay down. You are suffering. Don't stop fighting. You are confused. Don't give up. Don't quit, Christian. He is not done with you. If David were to quit after he made that massive mistake, we would not have the Psalms. If the apostles quit when they were confused, we would not be here right now. Don't quit. He hasn't quit on you. Now, my my warning. There are some of us, well, you know, honestly, just pull it back, all of us. I'm in this with you. When we hear of such an extravagant and massive love that God has for us, when we hear of like, man, he's, we sing that song, the reckless love, bust through any wall, man, this is awesome. No matter what I do, he's gonna love me and be there. He is faithful, what? How exciting, right? (laughs) There's a danger that can creep in where foolishly we could think this now excuses all sin. We can now think, oh, this is my free pass to go crazy now. This is my opportunity. Jesus is always going to forgive me. I'm going insane with sin now. And let me help you understand why this is a huge warning. Because if that's where you find yourself, you, you need to honestly evaluate if you are actually a Christian or not if you are actually convinced of God's love for you, if that you would use his love as an excuse for your sin, if you would use his forgiveness as an excuse to sin more, you might not be the Jesus tree with these Jesus fruits that we're we're talking about. You might be a lying tree. And you might be lying to yourself. Let me help you understand why, because that's strong and I know it. If a spouse was to look at their other their other spouse and say, hey, I've been thinking this through, I thought about it, talked to pastor about it, I've made a decision. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what, anything, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm sticking this in. I'm gonna be in this no matter what. And the other spouse said, oh, cool. I'm gonna live crazy now. What does that reveal? There's no genuine love there. What does that same kind of thing reveal about your relationship with God? There's no genuine love there. You love yourself and not God. So we need to repent of that. We need to ask God to forgive us. We need to ask God to free us. And we need to ask God to allow us to be the kind of people who say, Man, you are that faithful? I'm going to be that faithful. You are loyal? I'm going to be loyal. Now, for those of you who don't know Jesus, can I please just encourage you to not reject this love that he wants to shower you with. He is the faithful one you have longed to meet. He is the love that you have longed to experience. He is the one and the only one who can give you and fill that void that is so loud in your life. He is that one, and I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor and I have to say it. I'm saying this because that void is filled in my own heart. And I'm not a man speaking of an item that I've never used. I'm a man who has been transformed by God. And I want to help you know, if you don't know Jesus, he wants to work and do good and be in your life. Not to ruin you, but to build you, to transform you, to free you with his faithfulness for you. So we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. And as I pray, for those of you who don't know Jesus, for those of you who are not committed to Christ, I want you to take that time that I'm praying to ask Jesus to forgive you, to ask Jesus to be your savior, and to ask him to show himself to you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that none of what I just said is a lie. That we are not lying about your extravagant faithfulness. We are not lying about your incredible love. We are not exaggerating this. God, if anything, we cannot exaggerate it enough. And God, we will spend our entire lives growing in our understanding of your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the reality that you are in this room right now. And your hand is stretching out to those that you love. And you are calling them to grab your hand and Stand up and stop quitting and get up. Thank you, Jesus, for the ways that you've done it in my life. God, thank you for being faithful, even in the seasons where I have not been. Thank you for giving us the strength that we've needed to stand up. Thank you for the stories like Moses, like David, like Job, like the apostles, like those of us in this room that... Because we stood up with you and remained faithful to you, we saw the story to the end. God, help the people of our church. Help our church to stand and to be transformed because of your faithfulness. To be made new because of your goodness. To be more in love with you because of your love for us. Jesus, we need your help. We can't do this without you pray that you will strengthen us and help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.